morning, Active Church. It's so great to be with you this morning. Honored that you're here. I, I realized that we made a mistake this morning. Can I share a mistake with you? We allowed a Charger fan and a Bronco fan in the front row. I didn't realize that we were... Love you guys. We're glad you're here. Hey, my name is Mike, and if you want to come back, uh, we, we, we would love to have you here at Active Church. If this is your first Sunday, we're normally not that judgmental, it's just me, but we would love to meet you at a place called Guest Central. It's just outside these doors here on campus. Love to give you a free gift and, and get, get to know you, and you can get to know us. Next week, in between our services, is something we call First Step. And if you're new today, or if you've been new in the last month or two, we would love for you to come to First Step. It's just across our patio in the events room. It's an opportunity for you to hear the values of Active and an opportunity to learn how to get involved. And so I would love for you to come and hang with us next Sunday at First Step. Uh, we have a free gift for you at First Step as well. And it's an opportunity for you to get involved here at Active Church. And we believe that your involvement is that first step into telling a better story. So we would love to see you next week at First Step. Let me pray some words over us, and then we'll dive into the conversation today. Heavenly Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this opportunity to engage with you and engage with others. God, I pray for our hearts and our minds that you would renew and restore. God, that we would hear what it is that we need to hear, and we would do what it is that we need to do. Thank you so much for being such a good God to us. I pray for those that are here for the first time, God, that they would feel your presence and know that you're for them. And God, for those that have been here for a really long time, God, I pray that they would have a sense that you are still with them and still for them. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all of this. And together we say amen and amen and amen. The four scariest words in the English language are these words. We need to talk, right? And you know that they're scary because of what comes next, the conversation that you're about to have. You know it's a conversation filled with issues. It's a conversation filled with emotion. It's a conversation filled with conflict. And if you're like me, you do everything you can to avoid conflict. Because there aren't many people that love conflict. And if you love conflict, we're going to pray for you because that's just sick, right? Like, you need some help, right? But most of us don't like conflict. We run from it. We avoid it. We try to change the subject. Or we find somebody and we tell them, hey, you're really good at these conversations. Why don't you talk to them, right? But what we're really doing is we're just trying to dismiss ourselves from conflict. And the truth is, we try to get away from conflict as often as possible. But the problem is, we live in a world filled with conflict. And it's unavoidable. We can't escape it. I was thinking about the, the conflicts that we face almost on the daily. And, and three came to mind. The first is that you and I always have to wrestle through political conflict, right? And in a non-election year, it doesn't rise to the loudest level, but in an election year, it always seems like it's the loudest thing in our hearts, in our minds, and in our world. And by the way, next year is an election year. Yay! Now, I want to be honest with you. I think you should vote. I think you should vote as often as you can. I think it's a privilege and a priority. I think you should participate in that. But it doesn't mean that conflict goes away. 
In fact, what happens in an election year is that we begin to assume things about each other that maybe we didn't assume before. And so just for the sake of our relationship, you and I, as I stand here on a Sunday morning next year, in an election year, I, I want to help bring some clarity because you might have moments next year where you hear me say something that I probably would have said this year, but because it's an election year, you might assume that there's some sort of agenda behind it. So I want to bring some clarity to that. If you have a moment next year where you think to yourself, because you heard me say something, and you think to yourself, is Mike a conservative? Is he trying to push a conservative agenda on us? Or is Mike a liberal? Is he trying to push a liberal agenda on us? I want to answer those questions with this. Mike is a Christian, and Mike chooses to follow Jesus, just like many of you. And so we use this space— and if it's not me and somebody else, they will use this space. And as long as I'm the lead pastor, this space on a Sunday morning will be used for one reason and one reason only. To help you meet Jesus and learn to follow Jesus. That's why we talk. That's why we do what we do on a Sunday morning. We're going to ask really important questions like, what does love require of us? We're going to ask really important questions like, what's the wise thing to do? It doesn't mean that we won't address what's happening in our world and what's happen happening politically in our world. If you've been around active for a while, you know that we'll address the hard things. But we will always filter it through, what does this look like in the kingdom of God? Because when you and I decide to follow Jesus, we're the best people for our country. When you and I decide to do what love requires of us, we're the best people for our country. And you might wonder, like, is Mike right-wing or left-wing? I, I love the words of Rick Warren, who said, I'm for the whole bird, all right? I'm, I'm for all of it. And, and most importantly, the kingdom that I want to build and the kingdom that I want us as Active Church to build is the kingdom of God. And that's the most important thing that we'll do. So when there's political conflict— Hopefully that brought some clarity that you know that there isn't going to be an agenda, there isn't going to be a political stump speech that happens on a Sunday morning in this place. But we have to address it, right? Because political conflict is a reality. The second conflict that I think that you and I run into every single day is preferential conflict. You prefer this, they prefer that. You as a husband prefer this, your wife prefers that. And as a husband, you just do what she says, right? Like that's how preferences work. I've learned, we've, in our home, we have a bit of a controversy happen, happening in our home about preferences. Can I, can I share that with you? I learned recently that there are some individuals in our home that do not prefer attending the Yukaipa Christmas Parade. They don't prefer attending it. I know. Can you it made me sick to my stomach as well. I can't believe it. Now, just for clarity, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but it wasn't me and it wasn't Gavin, all right? So you can do the math. And so we're praying and trying to get the demon out in our home right now. And she could be praying for us. And they had the audacity, those that shall not be named in our home, they had the audacity to tell me that they didn't prefer the Christmas parade, right? And so, I know, can you believe that? It's ridiculous. But preferential conflict is something that we deal with every single day. We also deal with a third level of conflict, personal conflict. There's the conflict that you have within yourself. The voice that's in your head versus what it is that you long to do and desire to do. How you think about yourself, how you speak to yourself, how you process things. 
Sometimes it's not even your voice, it's the voices of all of those that have been around you for years, and maybe those voices haven't been healthy and holy. We also have personal conflict with those that we're in relationship with. And ultimately, we have personal conflict with Almighty God. Because there is our way, and then there's the way of Jesus. And it's why a lot of us are here today, and maybe why you're here for the first time, because you've realized that your way hasn't been the best way for you. And so you're looking for some sort of better story, some sort of better way. It's why you showed up here today, and I'm honored that you would give us a moment to speak into your life. But conflict, it's a reality. And as much as you and I want to avoid it, we live in a world filled with conflict. Now here's what's really interesting about those of us that decide to follow Jesus, or even those that are considering following Jesus. That you're invited to follow Jesus in a world filled with conflict. It's not one or the other. Conflict or no conflict. And when you follow Jesus, there is no conflict. In fact, Jesus said this, and John, who spent three years with him, wrote it down in John 16, 33. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And this, this invitation, it comes with a promise. And the promise is right in the middle of conflict, there is a promise of peace. Here's what Jesus said in verse 33. He said, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And that's good news. Because isn't it true that whatever conflict we're wrestling with and however layered or deep it goes into our hearts and in our souls, we're feeling the heaviness. We're feeling the sideways energy. We're feeling overwhelmed by it. And we need some good news, and the good news is, is that there is a promise of peace right in the middle of conflict. And that's what we're going to talk about today, and over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas Eve at Active. We're in a series today, starting today, called Calm and Bright. And you and I are going to discover today and over the next few weeks how we live with conflict, how we wrestle with conflict relationally, personally, in our world. And how there's a promise of peace right in the middle of it. And this is the Christmas story, friends. I know that we like to imagine the Christmas story being cute and beautiful. And there are some cute moments and there are some beautiful moments. But if you've read the scriptures and you've read the gospels in particular, you've read Luke's letter to us in the scriptures in the New Testament, you know that the Christmas story isn't this peaceful, just calm, beautiful cute story. It's filled with pain. It's filled with conflict. It's filled with tension and issues and emotions. And yet right in the middle of that, peace has come. And it's not just any peace. Like it's not like the peace sign with the ducky kiss face like you do on Instagram. Like the, you know, it's not that. It's not a peace that, that takes a break it's not a peace that gets a time out. It's not a peace that finds a vacation spot so that they can get away from all the conflict that they're living in. But it's a life-giving, life-changing peace because the writers of the scriptures tell us that peace has a name and his name is Jesus. And that peace has a title and the title is the Prince of Peace. And it has the power to transform you and transform me. It has the power to still transform you if you're a follower of Jesus and transform me 
as I follow Jesus. And I want to show you how it first begins to work in our lives through the very famous Christmas story that many of you are aware of, even if you're not a church person. And through the lives of individuals who are famous in the Christmas story, the, the shepherds in the story. I want to share their conflict with you. What they were feeling and what they were experiencing and how peace has changed them. And then when we finish our time together today, I want to invite you to make one decision. And I want to challenge you to do one thing. So if you have a Bible with you, or you have access to the Bible app on your phone, I want to invite you to turn to Luke's letter in the New Testament, Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Luke was a doctor who investigated the story of Jesus, was changed by the works and the words of Jesus, and decided to find out how he could really substantiate this transformation, that it wasn't just something for him, but something for everybody. And so he began to write, he began to investigate, he began to look into this story of Jesus. And that's what the letter of Luke is really all about. It's the good news of Jesus in what Luke discovered. He was like the early church Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was a man who was an atheist whose wife came to know Jesus, and Lee went on an investigative journey, smart, brilliant man, went on an investigative journey to try to prove what his wife was believing in was wrong, and he ended up proving it right historically, accurately, factually proving it right. And this is what Luke did in that first century, and this is where we find the Christmas story, the very famous Christmas story. And we'll start in chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And we're introduced to shepherds living out in the fields nearby, and they were keeping watch over their flocks at night. Shepherds are really famous and well-known in biblical history and in Bible times, not so much in our history and in our times. There's a disconnect from shepherds and their stories in the scriptures and in the first century to where we are in 2023. So we may not understand the depth of their stories or the reality of their story or the conflict in their story. So let me give you some insight into what it means to be a shepherd. You and I would become a shepherd because we didn't choose or get to be a part of something better. There was this desire for young men during the time of Jesus and in the time of the first century and before, where they longed to follow a rabbi. The rabbi would be like the pastors or the leaders of that time. And the rabbis would be a part of the story that God was telling in that time. And you could follow a rabbi in one of two ways. You could be asked, or you could ask, but the, the best way is to be invited. That the rabbi noticed you and noticed your life and noticed your story and heard your words and saw your character and your integrity. And how you would get invited is they would approach you and they would say, follow me. And the rabbi was great and would become greater in the mind of those that would follow them depending on how they could summarize the law of God in the fewest amount of words. There were 613 laws in the law of God, the Old Testament. And if a rabbi could summarize it in just one or two sentences, almost like an elevator pitch, it meant that they had a grasp of God like no other. And so you being invited would be a privilege, would be an opportunity. And we actually see how impactful this is with the first century followers of Jesus, those first century disciples when Jesus invites them 
to follow him. And their response seems a bit odd to us because we're disconnected from it, but it's powerful for them. Mark wrote about it because Mark was one of those followers who said yes to Jesus and spent three years with Jesus. In Mark chapter 1 verse 16, we read these words. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, it seems odd for us because they immediately say yes to Jesus. Like, one of the scenes is they're in a boat with their dad, and Jesus says, follow me, and they jump out of the boat. Peace out, dad. We're going to go follow this guy now. And it seems like it's so fast and so quick, and you're like, could you at least give your dad some time to maybe replace you? Like, like that feels a bit disrespectful to, to dad. Now, one of the other gospel writers teases out these moments for us. Because each of these gospel writers are writing from their perspective, and they have a purpose in what they're writing. Mark's purpose was not to tease this out, but John's was. And John tells us that there was interactions and conversations that took place. It's why they decided to follow Jesus. It wasn't just a moment where they left and said, bye, Dad, and took off. There was a moment where they were inspired, their hearts were stirred, and they had heard of Jesus and heard from Jesus before that moment. But the point of what Mark is trying to pass along to us is this, that this moment was a privilege they wanted to follow a rabbi. It's the best thing that you could do as a young man in the first century. It's the greatest thing that you could give your life to. You're going to honor God with your life by following this rabbi and do everything in your life to honor God in that way? Yes, of course they're going to say yes to that. This is everything that they could ever want. Being a shepherd was an alternative. Being a shepherd meant that you weren't good enough. So think about this for a moment. Think about your story and where your story connects with their story. They are doing something to make a living because they like to eat like we like to eat. They want to have a house like we have a house. And you have to have resources for that. And, and so they decided that if they weren't going to be able to follow a rabbi, they were going to have to get a job. And so they're working a job that maybe they don't like working a job that maybe they're not excited about, but they have to make a living. There's responsibility that they have to take. I think we can all empathize, and I think we can all sympathize with these men here, because many of us are probably living in that reality right now. Here's the dream, and the dream is to do these things, and in this way, the dream of being married, or the dream of being a parent, or the dream of buying a home, or the dream of having that kind of car, or the dream of being this type of grandparent. The dream of owning this type of business or having this opportunity to work and to make money in this way. Here's the dream. But many of you could tell stories about how you had to live in what's called reality. And in reality, you had to make a decision. Like, in this moment, I have to do this so that I can continue to move forward to that. Some of you are right in the middle of reality, and you're like, preach, Mike, preach, because you're, you're feeling the weight of like, I hate this job, or I hate this reality, and I don't want to live in this right now, but you understand that you have to because you want to be responsible. You want to be somebody that takes care of you and those around you. That's how the shepherds felt. They weren't able to do what it is that they were longing to do, had a desire to do. 
to take this even deeper. And here's where maybe some of you can relate, but maybe most of us cannot relate when it comes to our job or our reality in life. These shepherds are shepherds because they weren't able to follow a rabbi, and that had all sorts of issues connected to it. Because they weren't able to follow because they weren't considered good enough to follow. And because they weren't considered good enough to follow, they went to the place where you and I go to. So that must mean that I'm not good enough for God. And many of you have a story about how you feel about you and how you feel about God or how you think God feels about you. And some of those stories are beautiful because you've crossed the line of faith and you've discovered that how you felt wasn't what was true. Some of you are maybe here for the first time and you're wondering how God feels about you and you empathize and you sympathize with these shepherds. You feel their internal conflict because they were asking really important questions like, well then if I'm not good enough for God, then where do I find meaning? Is it going to be in me? Because the truth is, is that you could be the leader and the ruler of your life, but at the end of your life, what you're going to find is you. You've been the God of your life this whole time. So where will you find meaning? Where will you find significance? What makes the things that you do significant? You? The culture around you? Because what we see in culture around us is that things change pretty often. This is the tension that these shepherds are wrestling with. If I'm not good enough for God, then who am I good enough for? Am I good enough for myself? Am I good enough for them? Am I good enough for friends, for family, for romantic relationships? Where do I find purpose? Why do I do what it is that I do? Do you feel that? Do you sense what they're feeling? Maybe it's not hard for you. Because you're right there. This is the reality of these shepherds. And, and the truth is, is they could choose other avenues of peace. They could try to find other ways to bring peace to their heart and to their soul. It's what we do. But what they, what they knew is what a lot of you know and what a lot of you are discovering is that there's just something different about the peace of God. Paul writes most of the New Testament and he wrote one letter called Philippians to a church in Philippi. And in that letter, he writes a very famous, well-known verse, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, where he says these words, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. In our hearts and in our minds is where we consider all of life's really important questions. And it's in our hearts and in our minds where we experience acceptance and where we experience rejection. And what Paul writes is that there's a God who guards your heart and your mind. It, it's, it's, it transcends all understanding. Have you ever not understood something? And I'm not talking about something in the negative. Often when we don't understand something, it usually slides a bit negative. But let me just lean you in the direction of positive for a moment. Have you ever not understood why somebody did something for you and they did it out of love? Have you ever not understood why your spouse or your significant other has given you the time of day? Have you ever not understood why your kids actually want to be around you? All of those things might be indications that you're choosing to live a holy, healthy, God-honoring life because you've honored them and you've thought about them and you put them first, their others first in your mind. 
But the truth is, is I think that there are moments often in each of our lives, in each of our stories, where we wonder, like, I don't get why you did this for me. I don't get why you love me like that. And when it comes to following Jesus, I know that for some of us, we wrestle with the reality of God and the flesh dying on a cross for us and then rising again. Like, I don't understand. I don't deserve that. You're absolutely right. And that's why we don't understand. Because we probably wouldn't do that for each other. And yet we have a God who has done that for us. And the key to this peace that Paul says that you and I can experience that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus is in Christ Jesus. You choosing to trust in Jesus, engage with Jesus, follow Jesus. That's why the Christmas story matters. Because the Christmas story answers really important questions like, am I loved? And do I belong? And does God care? And where do I stand? Where do I stand with others? But ultimately, where do I stand with God? These are the questions that these shepherds wanted to know. Because they weren't good enough to follow, they thought they weren't good enough for God. So keep that in mind as we go back to the story that Luke tells us, the historical story in Luke chapter 2. Verse 9, we read this. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Because of course they would be terrified. Right? Remember how they felt. And then God shows up. And not just like God and hey guys, it's me, but the sky lit up. It was calm and then it was bright. And all of God, in fact Luke says the glory of God shows up. And they were terrified, and you would be too, and so would I. Because if all of God shows up, you and I would go, I hope we're good. I hope that cross thing is real, right? And God, being good, clarifies with them in verse 10. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. That fear that you're experiencing, that you're feeling, the emotions that are stirring, the anxiety, the nervousness, you don't have to go there because I'm here to share good news with you, not just for you, but good news for everyone who feels the way that you feel. Good news for everyone that has experienced life the way that you're experiencing life. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. It was calm, and then it was bright, and then God spoke, and then it got real bright. Because all of heaven was celebrating in the middle of the desert sky with these shepherds. Imagine how this group must have felt. 
feeling unsatisfied with their life and who they are, feeling unworthy of other people and ultimately unworthy of God, feeling personally conflicted. You ever interacted with somebody and they just, their responses to you are sharp and cutting and you're wondering like, what did I do? What, what did I say? And it's not even about you. It's because of how they view themselves. Maybe you're on the other side of that person. Maybe you're the person. And that's why when people come near you, you get into a karate stance because you're ready to defend yourself because you're, you're, constantly, you're constantly thinking that you're unworthy. You're constantly thinking that you're not good enough. You're constantly thinking that somebody's going to come after you and the only defense mechanism is you're like... You may not show that outwardly, but it comes out of you, right? You're constantly on the defense because you don't know where you stand with others and ultimately you don't know where you stand with God. You don't feel good enough for God. This is why they were afraid. This is why they were scared. It wasn't just some random person showing up. It was God Almighty that showed up. And these guys are afraid and unsatisfied and scared, and now they find themselves right in the middle of the greatest story ever told. And not only, not only are they thinking that they are last, but now God communicates to them first that the Prince of Peace is here. And then, and then they, they say something really interesting. The favor of God is upon you. You and I, if we're church people, and if you're not a church person, you may have been a part of some of these conversations, but often what happens with church people is we talk about the favor of God, but we really don't know what we're talking about. We'll say, I'm blessed. And we, we, we think that we know what we're talking about, but what we typically do is we'll connect that phrase to something good that happened. That's why when you're in the parking lot and the space opens up, you're like, oh, God is good. <laughs> right? Watching your, watching your favorite football team or baseball team and they win and you're like, whoo, the favor of the Lord is upon me. <laughs> right? Now we laugh at that because we do that. But the reality is, is I don't think that that's what it means. I don't think God's in heaven going, all right, Mike, Thursday, Niners, Seahawks, your team's going to win, all right? We're, we're, we're ready to go. And when they win, I'm walking around the house going, the Lord is good. I'm going to honor you, right? Like, I, I don't think that that's what he's talking about. Maybe he is. I don't know. I could be wrong, but I don't think that that's it. When we talk about the favor or the blessing of God, hear me. I want to bring some clarity to it. God's favor represents God's feelings about you. God's favor represents God's feelings about you. Think about this moment with the shepherds. It was calm, then it was bright, and God and all of heaven are there, and they're terrified. And what does God say to these shepherds? My boys! It's your heavenly father. Not sinners. It's your judgment. The prince of peace is coming. And he's my son. And I need to tell somebody. Uh, years ago when, when Abby was, was born, uh, I, we were obviously excited, celebrating that. And, and I was holding her in our, in our room. And Jeremy, our youth pastor, he, he walked in. And at the time, we weren't working together. We just knew each other. We were friends. And so he walked in. And, and I was like, 
Jeremy. And he's like, Mike. And I showed him Abby, and I was so excited to show him Abby. I'm like, look, look what we made. I, I didn't, well, well I kind of made it, but like she made it more. And, and here's, here's our daughter. And I was like, it's so cool, Jeremy, that you came down to see our kid. Like, I didn't know we were that close of friends. And he was like, actually, uh, next door, my wife is about to give birth to our daughter. <laughs> and so he was ready to tell me about the birth of his kid. Isn't it true when those of you that have been able to have kids, biologically, like you celebrate that, but even those of you that have adopted kids, fostered kids, you want to celebrate them and honor them. You want other people to see them. This is that moment with Almighty God, with our Heavenly Father. And he says to the shepherds, like, I'm here to tell you about what's about to happen, and you get to be the ones that communicate that. And we know how God feels about us because he tells us, but also because Jesus came at Christmas time. Now, here's something that I just feel like it's really important for you to hear, and it may seem odd in this conversation, but I feel like we just need to pause for a moment, and I need to say this to you because often we misunderstand this when we talk about God's feelings. God's feelings about you aren't dictated by what you do. God's feelings about you aren't dictated by what you do. Full stop. Let that marinate for a moment. Because immediately some of you might went, have gone into that karate stance again, right? Like you're like, well, I don't know. What about this, right? Like God's feelings about you aren't dictated by what you do. They're decided by what he does. God from the beginning said, this is who I am. This is what I do. Yeah, but what about, did I stutter? Did you miss that? And, and what's great is that we have great words from the writers of the scriptures that remind us of that. Like Paul writes this in Ephesians 2.8. He says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And just in case if you missed that, he gets very clear with us. This is not from yourselves. Well, well how, come, how come I, I can't have this be from me? <laughs> Let me just bring clarity to that. So that no one can boast because if you think that you can earn God's love, you would be arrogant about it and you wouldn't need God's love at all. You wouldn't pursue God's love at all. You wouldn't want God's love at all. And so this is not from you. This is a gift from God. And what he does when he shows up, he shows up with this announcement about how he feels about us, particularly how he feels about these shepherds, right in the middle of their conflict. And he settles their conflict with his presence. And then he tells them what he's doing through his words. It's why we have to be really careful to not dismiss the word of God. It's why we have to be really wise about how not to diminish it or push it aside. Because the word of God communicates what is true about God and what is true about us. We can be curious about it. We can ask questions about it. We can have doubts that lead to better questions. You can have all of that. But when we decide to just push it aside without engaging it, we're missing what is true about God and what is true about us. God's word tells us about how God feels about us. And so if you feel like God doesn't love you, care for you, with you, for you, then read God's word. If you don't think that God loves you, cares you, or feels anything for you, then memorize God's word. Word. 
If you don't think that God loves you, cares for you, feels anything for you, then hear the teaching of God's word. It's why we teach it. It's why we read it. It's why we memorize it. It's why we prioritize it at active. Because when conflict comes, the truth of God's word will bring clarity. You may not be able to find it anywhere else. But you can find it in the words of God in the scriptures. And when the peace of God gets in your heart, the presence of God empowers your life. And we see that in the story of the shepherds. They went from avoiding to announcing. Here's what Luke tells us in verse 15. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They went from avoiding to announcing. They thought they were last, and now they're the first to tell the story of Jesus, because this is what Jesus does. The peace of Jesus brings calm to our conflict. It's why you need it. It's why I need it. And it's why it's transformative. And we see just from the story of the shepherds, they went from not good enough to being the first to tell the world about the God who is enough. And they were just shepherds. Imagine what the peace of God can do for you. Perhaps what you need is to start with this reality. The peace of Jesus tells you where you stand with God. Not condemned, confident, not ashamed, but astonished by the God who's decided to love you. This is the peace that you can know today. And imagine starting off the Christmas season in a brand new way. Imagine your life being calm because you're avoiding conflict. And then you discovering the peace of Jesus. And it makes all things bright. And that may be a decision you need to make for the first time today. And in just a moment, I would love to lead you in that decision. But it also may be a decision that some of you need to make again. You've been following Jesus for a really long time, but it has become this religious practice. It has become a conflicted relationship. And you need to step back and allow the peace of Jesus to do the work that only the peace of Jesus can do. You don't need a break. You don't need a vacation. You don't need a timeout. You need Jesus. And I think that this would be a great day for you to decide to choose him. Now, I, I am also convinced 
that when we make a decision to follow Jesus, it's, it's never a decision that should stay private. It's a personal decision, but it's a decision that we always announce publicly. If God announced Jesus to the shepherds from the heavens, then we want to announce Jesus with our life and in our story. Which is why, for some of you, I want to invite you to not just follow Jesus privately, but to follow Jesus publicly. And the way that you can do that is by getting baptized next week. Next week is Baptism Sunday. And we have seen in the last nine years over 1,400 people get baptized. Just this year, we've seen 97 people get baptized. And we share each of those numbers because every number has a name. Every name has a story. And every story belongs to God. And some of you have been waiting to get baptized because you need to fix it yourself before you approach the throne of God. And if there's anything that you need to hear today, you need to hear that God showed up to those shepherds who were avoiding, and then they moved from avoiding to announcing, and so can you. Look at me, look at me. You should get baptized. It's time. It's not about your perfection. It's about your new direction. And so I want to invite you to sign up to get baptized at Guest Central this week. If you're watching online, you can sign up at our website. It's, it's time. Make that decision. Before I pray for you, I want to I challenge you to do one thing this week. And if you would join me, whether it's in the morning, afternoon, or at night, would you join me in memorizing a piece of scripture, some of the words of Jesus? One of my favorite scriptures is John 14, verse 27. John wrote this down. Jesus said this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Would you, would you memorize that this week? It'll be on our social medias. You can grab it there. If you want to take a screenshot of it now, you can. But I would love for us this week, whether you wake up in the morning and you're saying it, in the afternoon you're saying it, or before you go to sleep, or maybe around the dinner table, would you memorize this, not just by yourself, but maybe with your significant other, with your spouse, with your kids, with your family? How, how incredible would it be that in the midst of conflict, these would be the words that are rolling around in our heart and in our mind. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Could you, could you say that with me on the count of three? Let's just say it out loud together with everything that you got. Ready? One, two, three. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I would love for us to memorize that together, especially as we talk about peace over the next few weeks here at Active. Friends, peace has come. This story tells us about this peace. And it's found with Jesus. If you're able, would you stand to your feet? I want to pray some words over you. And then as we pray, if making a decision to trust in Jesus for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time is something that you feel stirred up to do, you feel ready to do, then I want to invite you to make that decision today. So let me pray some words over you. Heavenly Father, it is your peace that you have given us. It is your peace that you have left with us. 
you do not give as the world gives, we do not have to be afraid that we can experience peace in the midst of conflict, personal conflict, relational conflict, and it can be your peace, and it changes us. And so God, I pray for those that need to make a decision to trust in you this morning. And if that's you, with your eyes closed, with your head bowed, would you just repeat after me some simple words that you can say to God? It can simply be this, Heavenly Father, I know you sent Jesus. I know he forgives me. I know he's defeated my death. And I invite him to be my Lord and Savior. I choose to follow today. And if that's you, and if you prayed that prayer as we continue to have our heads uh, heads down and eyes closed, I want to invite you, if that was a decision you made, to meet me at Guest Central in the lobby. Just to let me know, let our team know. We would love to celebrate that decision with you. Maybe it's a decision to come back. We would love to know about that. And then we would invite you to not make it just a private decision, but a public decision and choose to get baptized. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are good, you are kind, you are merciful and faithful. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your favor and for your love. Thank you for your peace that passes understanding and guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. And together we say amen and amen and amen.